Good morning, everyone. I'm really glad that you're here uh, on our sixth week in our brand new facility. And if you do have comments like uh, Greg and Matt said about uh, your experience here, we really do want to hear those. We want to make this the best experience possible for you. Now, a lot of you I don't know. Some of you I've known for a while, but uh, I was born in Chicago. That, that doesn't mean anything necessarily particularly. It just means that uh, deep down I am a thug, and uh, you should be a little afraid of me. No, I, I, was, born, I was born in Chicago, uh, but I didn't grow up there. I grew up in southeast Tennessee, and so somehow Cincinnati is the perfect blending of those two parts of my, my personal history. Well, one of the cool things about growing up in Tennessee is, is everybody gets a chance to own a truck. It just comes with it. It's, it's part of the citizenship there in, in southeast Tennessee. And um, I, at some point in my uh, early um, driving years, I ended up with a truck. My dad bought me a truck, and uh, you know we, we, we kind of did it that way. And it was really, really, really fun. And because everybody owned a truck for the most part, you didn't have to worry about people begging you to borrow your truck to help them move or anything. It wasn't like that at all. You could actually take time and enjoy the natural resources around. So I was about 16, 17 years old, and I was hanging out with some friends who also had trucks. And we decided we would go doing some four-wheeling uh, up in the mountains there at the, uh, the near, near the base of the Smoky Mountains. And so uh, that's what we did. We, we headed off on, on paved roads, divided highways, and then to two-lane roads, and then to gravel roads, and then dirt roads, and then basically trails. And, and we were taking our, our trucks down through there because that, that's what you do in the summer if you're in southeast Tennessee. Now, as I mentioned, I was born in Chicago, so I'm not sure that my full southern pedigree ran as deep as maybe some of the other fellows we were with. And we came to this junction uh, in the path that we were on, and there was a stream in front of us. And um, the decision was being vetted as to whether or not we should cross the stream. And so, uh, like you might imagine, when there's a bunch of 17, 16, 18-year-old guys hanging around with seven or eight different uh, vehicles, um, very quickly we all decided that we would do it. Now, I was a little hesitant. My truck didn't set up that high, and it wasn't a four-wheel drive. And I knew deep down that this really wasn't the best idea in the world. I, I knew it. I, I don't know if it was my Chicago roots. I don't know if it was wisdom. I don't know if it was just the fact that my truck was a good six inches lower than everybody else's, and I couldn't tell exactly how deep the water was. So we, we chatted about it for a few moments, not all that long. It didn't take long to convince the entire group that we should just go ahead and a caravan across. I forget exactly where I was in the order of things, but somewhere along the way, um, we started to cross the water. And uh, the first guy in his nice big uh, four-wheel drive vehicle decided he would go across and got across. And it was obvious that he was taking his time, and there were some, maybe some, not quite boulders, but some good-sized rocks, and he was kind of stair-stepping over them. And then the next guy makes his way in, and about the time the third guy begins his way across, the other guy is out and through. And I'm I'm feeling better about the conversation, even though I knew that it would be a bit difficult for me. I was feeling better about the conversation because these other guys seemed to make it through no problem. Well, I don't know if, if you anticipate when you're hearing stories how they might end, but this one ends maybe like you would anticipate. I didn't make it across. <laughs> I didn't make it across. Not only did I not make it across, because my truck sat so much lower, um, water came in my doors. Um, it was a very, very bad day. Um, somehow, as the motor was turning and touching the water and the fan was turning, it created a spray that got up inside my distributor. So th those of you that are, are, are younger, we used to have distributors in cars. You don't have those anymore. But water got up in the distributor, and it shorted out the, the spark and the fire of, of the car. And so I was stuck. Now, the good news is, is when you travel with a lot of folks, they can pull you out. And I tell you that story because as I was preparing today about 
the message I wanted to speak with you about from God's word, that story came back to me. It was one of hundreds of times when I was in a group of people and something was being discussed and I knew deep down what should happen for me. Not necessarily what should happen for everybody else, but what should happen for me. And because I was in the group, and because the group seemed to be leaning in a certain way, because there was a certain momentum, I capitulated. <laughs> I gave in. I, uh, I succumbed to peer pressure, perhaps. I am not sure all the forces. I wanted to fit in. And even against my inward, maybe, I don't know, better, but at least different judgment, I decided to go with the crowd. I've done this all throughout my life. And even as an adult, it's difficult because here, here's the truth. What and who you listen to will influence what you do. What and who you listen to will influence what you do. Now, when I was a teenager, you couldn't convince me that this was true. Despite the fact that I would admit that on occasion, if we were having a discussion, that perhaps, possibly, I would give in a little bit to what people were saying around me, I would never admit that they really had much influence on my decisions. I would never admit that other people that I hung around with, that, had, uh, that I'd given access into my life, that I spent time with, I would never fully admit that they had a significant amount of influence in my life. But they do. What and who you listen to will influence what you do. Last week, I spoke with you in our second week of On Your Mark series about friendship and the power and the beauty and the grace and the gift that is friendship and how it can make us uh, move towards a positive direction for our life or sometimes, the, depending on the friend, they can, it can motivate us and help us go in the wrong direction. Today, it's kind of like a part two to that where we're going to drill down on this simple principle. I want to show you from God's word, and the truth is, is you probably all have experiences where you could share your own heart and your own history about this particular principle, that who you are, I'm sorry, that what you do and who you listen to will influence what you do. We're going to go to our Bible today in the Old Testament. The book today is Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 18. The words will be on the side screens, or if you have your Bible, please go there with me now. We're going to look at the entire chapter today. We're going to move through it pretty quickly. It's a powerful story. It's a powerful story about two very powerful men who had significant influence and means and authority and responsibilities. They were literally the heads of state. They were kings in neighboring countries. And their story is, is kind of backdropped by a, a certain scenario where the nation of Israel has been split in two. This is about 930 years before Jesus is born. And the nation of Israel has been split in two. And so there is, and I've talked about this many times, because this political force has a significant impact on the story of the Bible. There is a northern kingdom, and, and maybe without you even being a Bible scholar, do you want to know what the other kingdom is called? Yeah, southern kingdom. You're, see, Bible scholars, every one of you. There's a northern kingdom, and its king is Ahab. Now, Ahab in the Bible is not a good king. He's married to a very wicked woman. Her name is Jezebel. See, that's good. We, we got participation today. Her name is, because, to, by, by the way, little side note, ever since we've moved into this building, I can't see a thing. I don't even know if there's anybody out there. I hope, I hope you're here. So on occasion, I need just a little bit of noise. So um, 
Ahab is married to Jezebel, and they are, the Bible describes them as not good. The Bible describes them as wicked. They don't pursue God. And Ahab is in charge of really the larger group, the ten tribes to the north. And then there is a southern kingdom, shorthand name for that is Judah, and its king is Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat. Ahab is a cooler sounding name, but Jehoshaphat is a better dude. And uh, in the southern kingdom, they're really a trying to follow God and stick with the way that God had revealed through his prophets, through Moses. But they're neighbors, and you try to be good neighbors, and this particular event in their lives reveals the principle that I want to chat with you about, one that you've seen in your own life, one that even though I told a story that is pretty innocuous, I could have shared with you moments in my life where other folks that I listened to and hung around with had a significantly detrimental, much more permanent effect on my life. Because what and who you listen to will have an influence on what you do. Here's how our story begins with Jehoshaphat and Ahab. Now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, the Bible says. And he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. This was normal. In neighboring um, city-states and neighboring kingdoms, what would often happen is they would trade a son and trade a daughter, and by some kind of marriage arrangement, rather than going to war, there would be a political alliance, and so that family wouldn't fight family was the idea. They, they didn't study history because that happens all through history, but so the idea was that so that family wouldn't fight family, they would come together in these alliances. Now, the interesting thing about this, even just one verse in, is that God had made it very clear to the southern kingdom that he didn't want them intermarrying with the neighboring communities, with the neighboring kingdoms. The idea was that there was enough people here so that we weren't all inbred. And what we would do is we would choose from our own who had our values, who were walking the way we were walking, who were trying to follow God the way we believed that we should try to follow God. And the fear was that if they intermarried too much, then the influence of that intermarrying group would have significant negative impacts on the original group. And so God gave them caution. Don't marry around. Kind of stick it a little close to the family. But Jehoshaphat, even though he was a pretty good guy, he decided to ally himself with Ahab by marriage. Now, verse number two. Here's where our story gets interesting. And as I tell this story, it's a, you know, a few thousand years ago, but you're going to be able to see yourself here. Parents, you're going to be able to see your kids here. Aunts, uncles, you're going to see your nieces and nephews here. Grandparents, you're going to see your grandkids here. It's just life. And it's real easy when I talk like this to think that I'm talking about the next generation or the, you know, the junior highers or the high schoolers. But in every generation, what and who you listen to will influence what you do. So verse 2. Some years later, Jehoshaphat, he went down to see Ahab in Samaria. Now that was the capital city of the northern kingdom. And it was a big party. So Ahab slaughtered many sheep and cattle for him and the people with him and urged him to attack Ramoth Gilead. Now, we don't know much about the political forces going on in the Bible unless you do a lot of studies. But let me catch you up. Ramoth Gilead was a little town at a significant crossroads. And what this meant is, is that at being on the crossroads, um, they had the right to charge taxes on people who were passing through. And you would definitely use those roads and pay those taxes because to risk going over the hills or through the desert or around the water, you potentially risk losing your fortune through robbers, through just natural calamity, through, through, through accidents. And so people would be glad to pass through Ramoth Gilead, pay their taxes to travel over their roads. And as a result of that, that little township 
became very prosperous. A lot of very wealthy people, merchants, and extremely extravagant goods. People would go there to buy things. On Saturday, if you had a day free, you, you would go there. It was like the free market or, or the flea market of the ancient world. So Ahab and Jehoshaphat are having a party, and Ahab urged Jehoshaphat to join with him and to go expand his borders, to go to Ramoth-Gilead, a city in not either the northern or the southern kingdom, but just a little bit to the east, go there and to take away that property and to bring it under the control of the crown of Ahab. And because they're allied together, because there's a marriage together, because they're trying to have a friendship, um, the story begins to unfold with extra interest. So verse 3, Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat replied, like neighbors do, I am as you are, and my people as your people, and we will join you in the war. This is like him saying, Mikasa, Sukasa, we're together, we're buds, we're, we're going to do this thing together. Now, up to this point, this sounds like every single engagement when you have a group of friends and they throw out an idea. And for the most part, they're innocuous. They don't necessarily have any significant impact we aren't thinking about 20 years from now what's going to happen in light of this decision uh, in, in some regard even though it sounds foreign to us when kings got together evidently at least in the bible and throughout history it seems like they would often discuss who they were going to defeat hey i feel like going to war over here where do you feel like going to war i'm going to go here why don't you join me and so they decided to do what kings do and to expand their borders in one sense this is just like another day at the office for these kings who had significant political power and military power. Their decisions will impact other people. But for them, they're just thinking in the now. Ramoth Gilead is prosperous. Let's go over. It makes political sense. And Jehoshaphat, being neighborly, being friendly, says, I am as you are. Your people are as my people. I will we'll join you in the war. It was you know, kind of that simple. But then Jehoshaphat did something that adds a little drama and interest to the story. It's something that I relate to having grown up in a Christian home where my parents um, did their best to raise their kids right. And there was a few recurring questions that my mom or my dad would ask me at points of decision or when we faced a conflict or when I was trying to make some decision about where I was going to go or what I was going to do. There are a few questions that would always come to the surface. And when I read this next verse, it's like me sitting at home talking to my parents or rather them talking at me, all right? So, but Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Ahab, Jehoshaphat says to Ahab, first, seek the counsel of the Lord. First, seek the counsel of the Lord. All right, we're going to go with you, but before we do, just before we go there, let's at least seek God's opinion about this. Now, this is like my dad saying to me, uh, have you prayed about that? I would say to my dad, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing over here. And my dad would look at me and he would say, have you, have you prayed about that? And that's kind of sh the shorthand way of saying, have you, have you asked yourself what God has to say about this? I know what everybody else is saying. I know what you're feeling. I know what it looks like is best. But have you at least paused long enough to ask yourself, what does God have to say about this? So Jehoshaphat said to Ahab, all right, we're going to do this, but before we pull the trigger, before we go to war and risk significant potential losses, before we put, you know, our, our reputations on the line, let's make sure we at least 
seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat wanted to seek the Lord's wisdom. Now, if you open your Bible to 2 Chronicles and you read the story around there, Jehoshaphat has a, a track record of trying to lean in with God. Ahab in the north has a track record of leaning against the things of God. Now, this is just in keeping with Ahab's general way of being. Sounds like a great idea. I'd love to go with you. Hey, who wouldn't like to have a piece of Ramoth Gilead? Huh? But before we do it, let's seek the Lord. Not, not bad, you know, pausing before pulling the trigger. Not a bad lean-in at all. He wanted to seek the Lord's wisdom. So verse 5, here's what it says. This, I love this. This is so so contemporary, even though the history, the people, the dates are a long time ago. So the king of Israel, Ahab, brought together the prophets, 400 men, and he asked them, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I not? Now these 400 prophets, the Bible doesn't tell it in this verse, but you get the picture that the kings employed people to do nothing but seek the opinion of God. And in this case, there are 400 people on Ahab's payroll whose particular job is to give the king counsel on God's agenda for the king and for the kingdom. So Ahab calls the prophets and he says, I need to know, should we do it or should we not? And they answered, here we are, go! They answered, for God will give it into the king's hands. Now let me ask you, do you think this is the news Ahab wanted to hear? Well, of course it was. This is exactly what Ahab wanted to hear. He was already in his mind thinking, I'm going to do this thing. He's already seeing the fruitfulness and the prosperity of Ramoth Gilead. And he's thinking it makes perfect sense. His heart is already leaning there. And so he calls people that are in his pocket, and he says to them, I am thinking about going over here and doing this thing. What do you think about it? And they all, in unison, respond back to him with one voice, absolutely, king, if you go after it and do it, God is going to give you those people. You're going to take it. They're going to be in your hand. But verse 6 says, Jehoshaphat, the one who leaned in, here's what verse 6 says, but Jehoshaphat asked, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? Now, this is, this is a little underhanded, potentially, or it could be a potential slam on Ahab's reputation, or at least on his dignity, perhaps. Ahab has his 400 prophets, and when they all respond in one voice, saying exactly what Ahab wanted to hear, Jehoshaphat pauses yet again, and he says, look, isn't there even one prophet of the Lord uh, who we can go to and inquire, like, like an impartial, wise adjudicator who can help us figure out what's going on? And then verse 7, this, this, is where, this is where the story gets painfully true for me. Verse 7, the king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, there's still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. I don't like him at all because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He, he is Micaiah, son of Imla. All right, so there's 400 over here, and they're like, go get him, king. You're in charge. You can do this. But Jehoshaphat goes, oh, wait, wait, wait. You mean out of 400 people, there's not one dissenting voice? There's not one point of leaning? There's not one point of caution? Is, isn't there at least one person? And Ahab says, yeah, 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 that we, got, we got one, but I don't like to talk to him. He never says what I want to hear. 
He's always got bad news for me. He's always telling me to be careful, listen to God, lean in. And so I just kind of avoid him. Now, now here's the deal. When, um, when you're growing up, you, you, you can't see this necessarily in yourself, but you can see it in other people. Think back to junior high, high school, college, early adulthood. And you had the friend who was dating the, f- the other person, the girl who was dating the guy, and everybody around that girl knew that that guy wasn't good. And on occasion, some friend would lean in and go, you know, I just don't think that's a good, it's just, you might want to be. And of course, that wasn't what the girl wanted to hear, so she did often, potentially, what a lot of, <laughs> what a lot of girls might do, and then put distance between her and that dissenting voice. She, she, she might do that. Or, or there's a financial decision that you need to make, whether or not to go into business, whether or not to buy the thing. And, and you, you, you have this weighty decision to make, whether or not to buy this house, whether or not the terms are good. And, and, and you have a hunch that maybe there's a lean-in thing, but you really, really want it. I don't know if you've ever had this happen. So you think you've got the whole thing worked out. You've got the nice, sweet deal worked out. And then you go to the table to sign, and there's so much momentum, and everybody around the table is leaning in, and it's going to be really amazing. And then you discover, maybe you've heard of this, that, that maybe the terms aren't exactly like you understood them. And now here you are faced with this decision in the moment, and the momentum is all going in one direction. We've all, every one of us, have been in a place where what we wanted to do and what we wanted to hear was right in front of us. And I'm saying to you that today what we need to remember, especially as we start this new year, if we want it to go the way God would like it to go for us, is that what and who we listen to will have significant influence on what we do. It will help set the course of our life. It will be those pregnant, decisive, watershed moments in our life that will have significant influence not just in the moment, but ongoing. Ahab says, yeah, there's a, there's a prophet that, you know, he, I just don't like him. He doesn't say what I want to hear. This is like you, someone asking you, all right, that sounds like a good idea, but have you asked your dad? Or, or maybe you fill in the blank. Did you ask? Fill in the blank. And you're saying to yourself, no, I don't need to ask them because I already know what he's going to say. I already know what she's going to say. Did you ask your coach? No, I don't need to ask because I know what he's going to say. Did you ask your, your, your workout partner? No, because I already know what they're going to say. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever done this, let me, let me just be kind of candid about myself, and if I can be 100% honest with you, as a pastor, I see this. I see people who won't even engage the question-asking process, because their mind is already made up, the momentum is already moving, and there's a tendency to a want in every one of us to avoid voices that we really don't want to hear, and sometimes they're the very voices that we need to hear in our lives. Yeah, I don't like him because he never prophesies anything good about me. Always bad. And then verse 7b, Jehoshaphat says to Ahab, the king should not say such a thing. So, in, like in a movie, this is where like uh, the, the music would be like, boom, boom, boom. The conflict has been introduced. Right? So they're like, all friendly, you want to go to war? I'll go to war. But first, let's ask of God. And yes, all 400, go, go, go. Wait, wait, is there one, is there just one dissenting voice we can consider before we pull the trigger? Yes, but I don't really want to listen to him. I keep him over in a corner because everything he says is not what I want to hear. You should be careful talking like that, Jehoshaphat says. 
When you talk like that or when you feel like that or when you think like that, that's revealing something about what's going on inside of you. And it's a caution point. You should lean in. So verse 8, so the king of Israel, Ahab, called one of its officials and he said, bring Micaiah, son of Imla, at once. And I don't know, as I'm kind of watching this in my mind, he's got his head down. Go ahead and bring him. I don't, I don't really want to see him, but Jehoshaphat, and I'd like to have him with me in the war. Go ahead and bring him. So the messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah, said to Micaiah, <laughs> I love this. This is like my junior high buddies or my high school buddies. Says, Look, now the other prophets without exception, they're all predicting success for the king. Please, please let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. Evidently, Ahab, <laughs> Ahab had, a ten- had a tendency when he heard things he didn't like to hear, uh, getting angry. I mean, when the prophet Elijah, in, in another story in your Bible, speaks badly about Ahab, he sticks the entire army after Elijah, just because Elijah said something Ahab didn't want to hear. Ahab had this reputation, so the messenger who goes and gets the prophet that Ahab's trying to avoid, on the way back to the palace, says to him, just agree, there's 400, just go ahead and go on. But Micaiah says, And by the way, friends, all of us need a voice like this in our lives. All of us need a few of these people. But Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can only tell him what my God says. I can only tell, I can tell him only what my God says. So when he arrived, the king asked Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I not? And Micaiah looking around, seeing the 400, he says, and you find out in just a moment, it's sarcastic. He says, Attack and be victorious, for, they'll, for, for they will be given into your hand. He just like joins up with the, uh, with the rest of the prophets, and he's like, yeah, do it. I mean, look around you. Obviously, this is the answer you want to hear, but Ahab has had experience here, and he says, now listen. The king said to him, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So Ahab's having a moment of, of, of seriousness, leaning in. And Micaiah answered, it's not what you want to hear if your king about to go to battle. I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. Now this is like saying, um, if you're the shepherd king and the army is the sheep, I saw them scattered out across the hills without a shepherd. In other words, you're going to die. This ain't good for you. If you do this thing, it's not going to go well. Let me ask you again. Do you think this is what Ahab wanted to hear? No. Verse 17, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me but only bad? He makes it personal. They're out to get me. They never say what I want to hear. I've heard this from my kids. Dad, you never let us do the thing. You never... I, I, and I don't want to pick on, on junior high kids too much because it's a very you know, special time in life where life is hard and difficult having everything provided for you and people who shuttle you around and, and the emotions can be overwhelming sometimes. But, so I don't want to pick on them too much. But, but, you, I, but you, can you imagine a group of junior high girls or boys kind of discussing this? They, my parents never let me do the thing and they're always out to get me. And, and every one of their buddies or girlfriends leaning goes, yeah, my parents are like that too. 
and you can rally people around you to tell you what you want to hear. And it's not just a junior high phenomenon, is it? It affects kings in the Old Testament. It affected people in the New Testament who looked around and knew that they should lean in with God, but they were concerned about what the crowd would say. It affects adults here in this room. It affects the person on the stage where, where, where our hearts often already lean in a direction. And we forget the very simple principle that what and who you listen to will influence what you do. And it's a significant learning for us at the beginning of this year that if we can take it to heart, it might be that we can take this principle that none of us are going to break, that who and what you listen to, we, it, we might be able to take it and actually use this wisdom contained in the Bible for our benefit this year to make sure that we have the right voices in our life, to make sure that we're not just, unlike the culture, following our hearts or doing what seems best without ever really digging down into the facts of the matter, of just listening to the voices that we want to hear without ever listening to that dissenting voice and actually considering it. So, didn't I tell you, he never prophesies anything good about me but only bad. Verse 25. Now, th this is, uh, in the in-between those eight verses, you, you can read that on the own, your own. The story um, gets kind of interesting. As, as this conversation is happening with, with Micaiah and with Ahab, the other 400 prophets, they've put like helmets on their heads with horns, and they're dancing around having a cheerleading party like before the battle. Go get them, Ahab. You can win. And they're dancing around, and he's the one voice. In verse 25, then the king of Israel ordered, Take Micaiah and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah declared as, as he's being pulled away in chains is the way I see it. If you ever return safely, the Lord hasn't spoken to me. Then he added, mark my words, all you people. Mark my words, the dreaded words that you never want to hear your parents say to you. Mark my words. You never want to hear friends say to me, you do what you want, but mark my words. This is not going to go well for you. Now, I don't even know if you know how this story folds, but I bet that you can kind of see what's coming. I, I, I bet that the voice that we hear and see Ahab listening to the voice of the 400, the voice of the crowd. I, I think that most of us know intuitively how this is going to play out. It's not going to go well for him. We can already see that the voice of wisdom has been bound and gagged and dragged off to prison. Now, you see this in this Bible story, but I bet right now you don't have to look very far around your sphere of influence to where you have people in your life that you could say the same thing of. I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody, but in my job as a pastor, I have seen people make stupid decisions, not in a vacuum, but when there were one or two people who were leaning in saying, you might want to think about this. I have seen people avoid church as, you know, if it represents any sense of the so a source of truth, of leaning in with God. I've seen people avoid church while they're trying to walk down a path that they know intuitively is wrong. They know it's going to take them in a wrong place, but they don't want to hear that anymore. They don't want to consider that anymore. So they decide to break contact with a source of truth so that they can go do what they want to do. I've seen individuals break fellowship with their friends, with their families. 
as people have leaned in. This story in the Bible is obvious, but here's the truth. Our story, our stories are no less obvious. Our stories are no less obvious than these stories. There are people who've watched your life up close and have said behind closed doors, if not to your face, I tried to talk to him. I tried to talk to her. It just, it's like you know, talking to a brick wall. We couldn't penetrate. Verse 28. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. <laughs> and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter into the battle in disguise. Okay, this gets strange. The, Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, I'm going to go in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now here's, here's what this shows me. Even though he's listening to the 400 and they're all saying, you get to win, even though he put the voice of reason and wisdom in prison, deep down Ahab has a hunch that something's not right. Deep, He looks confident on the outside. He's riding in front. But deep down there's this gnawing sense of maybe I should just pause and wait and consider the other voice. I may not follow, but I should consider the other voice. And we get a snapshot of just how uncomfortable he is when he says to Jehoshaphat, you deck yourself out. You, I, I tell you, you look like a king, and I'm going to disguise myself to look like somebody else. So the king of Israel disguised himself, the Bible says, and he went into battle. In his heart, the words of the prophet were ringing true. He looked confident, but he had doubts. Now, isn't it true? For me, at least, I know it is. You can argue your parents into silence, men, you can argue your wife into silence, but in your heart you know they might have a point. You, listen, you can get with your buddies and talk about your boss, but in your heart there's a point to at least be considered. Verse 29, you wear your royal robes, so the king of Israel disguised himself and went in battle. And whoever you ally yourself with, that creates momentum. We have a tendency to get caught up I drove my truck through the river that was way too deep, and I didn't even have a four-wheel drive because I was caught up in the momentum of the moment. I knew better, and I ended up getting stuck. And I was living out the principle that who I'm around, what and who I listen to, will have significant influence on what I actually do. Now, verse 30. Let's quickly get to the end of this. Now, the king of Aram had ordered his chariot commander, do not fight with anyone, small or great, except the king. So the people they're going to battle against says, don't kill anybody, go straight for the king. So Ahab's plan, you know, of disguising himself, being careful, seems like it might work. When the chariot commander saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, this is the king of Israel, or this is Ahab. So they turned to attack him, but Jehoshaphat cried out, wait, 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 I'm Jehoshaphat, uh, don't kill me, please. And then the Bible says that the Lord helped him. He was being somewhat foolish here, but the Lord saved him, bailed him out. We call this grace. This is a good thing. God drew them away from Jehoshaphat. But when the chariot commander saw that he was not the king of Israel, Ahab, they stopped pursuing him. But then verse 33, but someone, the Bible says, drew his bow at random. I love this. My kids will say, we want to do this thing. We want to ride our bikes to this thing kind of beyond the boundary where we have laid as a family. And I'll say to them, guys, you know we don't like you crossing that street. It's too busy. There's not a good place to cross. And you know what my kids invariably say every time? I'll be careful. As if somehow being careful means you can step over the line of wisdom 
and throw caution to the wind because in the moment you're going to be careful. You know what this story tells us? That even when you're most careful, random things beyond your control are going to happen. In this case, some random dude drew his bow back and let an arrow fly. But someone drew his bow at random, verse 33, and hit the king of Israel, Ahab, between the breastplate and the scaling of his army, armor. The king told the chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of this fighting. I've been wounded. All day long the battle raged. And the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot, facing the Arameans until evening. And then at sunset, they have died. Now, I've known people who've lost their marriage because they wouldn't listen to advice. Sometimes actually turning away from it. I've known people who've lost their financial security because they plugged into the wrong voices. And they were caught up in the momentum. I know teenagers who've made bad decisions, not in a vacuum, but against the one or two voices in their lives that had a track record of showing that they loved them, and instead they followed the crowd. Now you and I can filter out reality if we want and surround ourselves with voices telling us what we want to hear. But sometimes the thing we least want to hear is the very thing we need to hear the most. So I've got five honest questions for us to consider today. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to today? Who are you listening to? In other words, who has your ear? Think about this. You won't have to necessarily write these down. You'll be able to remember most of them. Who are you listening today? to today? N- number two, who do you need to quit listening to? Who do the people who have proved over time that they love you wish that you weren't listening to? Wish didn't have that full influence in your life the way that they do. Number three. Who should you be listening to? Who are you listening to? Who do you need to quit listening to? And who should you be listening to? We want you getting in circles, listening to people, leaning in on Jesus. And you may not follow their advice, but we want you to take that conversation seriously. We want them to be the dissonant voice against the culture saying, you might want to think, have you prayed on it? You might want to consider what Jesus has to say about this. It's why we strongly encourage everybody to get into a small group because who should you be listening to is one of the most important questions that puts you on the path to experience all that God has for you. And being intentional about that as opposed to just getting caught up in the moment or or surrounding yourself with people who only say what you want to hear. Number four, what do you not want to hear but need to? Is there some information you've been holding at bay because you just don't want to face it? Number five, this, one, this one's tough for me. Whose advice are you resisting just because you don't like the individual? Somebody in your life, and you just don't like them. They have proved in the past. They've made a mistake. You think their voices are invalid. You don't like something about their personality, and you're resisting their advice. I'm not saying you just take it, but it should be considered in listening to you. Who and what you listen to at every stage in life will influence what you and I do. This is true with God. God doesn't speak for our consideration. You know when people hear from God best? When they come to him with a willing heart that says, God, if you speak, I'm going to follow. If you lead, I'll go. As I sense you directing, I have an automatic, already written in ink, yes, to whatever you say. I have found that people who hear God most clearly hear him when they come ready to obey. An attitude of, I will obey you, Lord. Who are you listening to today? 
hey, let's take out our connect cards and take some steps together as a congregation. This is the point in the service where we grab those things back out that Pastor Matt and Greg were talking about, everybody in the room, and we choose how we're going to move forward in an action plan, at least one step on what God has for us. All right, so next step A. If you're not yet in a relationship with Jesus, I'd like you to consider doing that. I'd like you to consider putting your faith and trust in him and making him the leader of your life and making his voice louder in your ear. It will often be against the culture. Sometimes it'll sound, honestly, like it's against you or at least your wishes. But it's a voice that needs to be weighed and considered. And the way you begin to get that voice, that God connection in your life, you open your heart to him and say, Lord, I have led my life too long. I have failed. The Bible calls me a sinner, and I agree with that. And I want you to wash my sins away and put me in a right place with you again. And then beyond that, I want you to lead my life. The Bible says that we begin that kind of a relationship with God through his son Jesus when we do this. We believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Lord of the universe, but also our lives. We confess with our mouth that we want him to be that Lord. If you want to do that, you can check the box. We'll pray about it. And then you'll put it in the offering bucket when, when it comes by in just a few moments at the end of our service. And then we'll contact you through the week via email, just reminding you the decision you made and giving you a few simple tools to help you begin that journey with Jesus. Next step, B. If you'd like to go public and get baptized, we have a baptism coming up in just a few weeks. If you'd like to get baptized, just check the box and say, hey, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of his influence in my life. I want the world to know that my relationship with him has changed everything. We'd like to celebrate that with you. How about next step C? Is there anybody that would say, hey, Ben, here's the truth. I'm facing a transition, and I, I'm going to make a commitment today. I'm going to seek the right people to tell me the truth I need to hear. I'm, I'm going to do a better job at pulling in the right voices. I'm not going to take Micaiah and say, over there, I want to pull the right people around me. This is one of the keys to living this year different than every other year, getting the right voices at the table with your ears open. Next step, D. A little confession time for some of us. It's true. I have a hard time hearing God in part because I don't come fully ready to obey. I've got provisos. I've got stipulations. I've got clauses. As long as God's generally doing what I want, it, it's good, but... But really, I come with a, hey, I'm going to consider, and I don't come with an obey attitude. Well, you can do that. And when you do that, the clarity of your hearing God, it drops significantly. I wonder what it would look like if you just opened your heart and you said, now, God, I don't know how fully to do this, but I am more than ever willing to just take you at your word and begin to obey what I already know. Don't you check the box like I'm going to when I sit down? And just admit to God, this is a place I need you to clean me, God, and grow me. Or next step, E. I'm going to join a 4C small group where I can have some honest conversation. Some of you might be in groups that never really press in. And, you know, that's okay to some degree. We all need, like, fellowship. But I wonder what it would look like if you got intentional about getting in a group that had some honest conversation about the important things. And around the table, there was a general understanding, hey, if it's in God's word, if it's truth from God, it rises to the top. I wonder if what it would look like if you were in a group of people that said, I wonder what God has to say about this. Or if you were around a group of people that said, have you prayed about that yet? I mean, have you prayed on it and kind of considered what God had to say? Let's pray about these things right now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you, God, that you gave us the gift of your word that is so practical, even though it's ancient, it's so 
contemporary. And we read stories about Ahab and Jehoshaphat, but we're really reading our own story. Yeah, the stories in the Bible happened, but they're happening. God, I want to thank you for people who want to set themselves correct this year to pursue all that you have for them. God, for the steps that are being taken, for people that are saying, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me. I want you to wash me clean. I want you to lead my life. God, for those that are saying, I need to bring the voices around the table. And for God, those making the decision to join a small group as we begin that next week. Lord Jesus, we commit all of this to you. We pray it in the powerful name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen.